Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Well, good morning. It has already been just a fantastic morning. We welcome you to Cross Lane. If you weren't able to be here last night to see what happened at, with the car show, wow. Um, we had the coolest cars at this car show. Last night, now this one, I don't know if, how many ladies will know what this is, and probably maybe a lot of the guys, but last night we had a Ford GT on the lot. How many of you guys know what a Ford GT is? Okay. I'm not talking about a Mustang GT. I'm talking about a car that would rival a Ferrari. All right? This thing was gorgeous, and I got to sit in it. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty nice. I told the guys sitting next to me, I could do the Lord's work so much faster in a car like this. <clears throat> I bring up the car show just to say this. It, it, we have certain things that, that happen around here, and there's certain times when, you know, as a pastor, we just shine as a church. It's, they're just, you know, we've, we have these things where we would say are our, our finest moments. And I think every year the car show is one of our finest moments because we have a lot of people on this campus who don't go to church. Um, God's really probably the last thing on their mind. A relationship with Jesus is not something that they're really anticipating or even thinking a whole lot about. And yet, they come to our campus and they spend time with us and you guys show up in droves and you walk around and you look at their cars and you talk to them. And the coolest thing happens at the car show. People come running up to me, people that go to church here, and they say, Brett, come here, I want you to meet this you know, meet this friend of mine that brought his car to our car show. I bet I had five or six conversations last night with people who don't go to church here, but that, that knew someone that goes to our church. Or there's one guy that brings his motorcycle. He's brought his motorcycle every year that we've had the car show. And he's, he wins something almost every year. He's got a beautiful bike. He looks like Hulk Hogan. And, and um, he, we're, I was talking to him last night, just thanking him again. I said, hey, you come every year, and I want to thank you for coming every year. He said, oh, I wouldn't miss this. He said, I love this thing. Well, why does he feel that way? He feels that way because he feels accepted. He feels loved. We, we invite him in. We, you know, we give him a forum to show off something that he's passionate about. And we've made friends with this guy. I mean, I, every year when I see him, it's like, hey, there you are. And we have the handshake thing. I took him on a tour of the church building last night. And he was telling me, he said, you know, I've got a preacher that's trying to get me to go to his church. And this is going to sound like I'm competing with this preacher. And I don't mean it to sound that way at all, okay, because we don't do that. But he said, I got this preacher that's trying to get me to come to his church. But he said, honestly, if I was going to go to church, I'd come to this church. Why is that? You know why that is? Because he feels at home in a place like this. And that is what we're after. If you're a visitor with us today, I hope that somebody has stuck their hand out and spoken to you and made you feel like you are welcome here because you certainly are. Um, we're not going to overpower you. We're not going to stick a name badge on you or make you stand up and tell us you're a visitor. You can enjoy the service in somewhat anonymity, but we do want you to know that we're happy that you're here and you're at a place that loves Jesus and loves you. And uh, no matter what your state in life or where you find yourself, uh, I hope you find a home here because uh, we, we are passionate about those two things, loving Christ and loving you. So uh, the people who put on the car show, the people who worked at our car show, um, worked their tails off. 
and and it, I just can't tell you how much work goes into it, from computers to setting stuff up, to to people doing the DJ stuff for us, hauling stuff around, getting all the um, the bags ready to give to the participants. It's a big deal, and you guys have worked really, really hard. And I just, as a pastor, I just got to stand back last night and watch, and I just stand there. I'm just amazed sometimes at, at what happens at things like car shows. So it was a great evening, and uh, we give God all the glory and praise for that. Turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, we launch a new series this morning called Fearless. I am very, very excited about this. I can't wait. I got something special to do with you here in just a few very short minutes. Hang with me because we're going to have some fun in a minute. Um, Judges chapter 6. We're going we're gonna to look at in this series different people from the Old Testament that God meets in certain levels and stages of their fear and he, he basically helps them to get around it or to deliver them from it and he delivers them to a strong point of faith. And that's really where we're going for the next several weeks. And the, the passage that kind of launches us into this whole thing, the passage that I want us to be thinking about and, and, and thinking through the whole series is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, or you could insert the word there, fear. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Uh, you know, he's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of love, and he's given us a spirit uh, of self-discipline. Today, we're going to look at a guy named Gideon, who certainly had his share of fear going on in his life. He, he was uh, deathly afraid of a group of guys, and uh, we're going to get into that story a little bit this morning. Judges chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because, of, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Let me give you a little history on what's going on with the Midianites. 200 years prior to the point we're at in Scripture right now, the Israelites put a whooping on the Midianites, okay? I don't know if you saw the scores from the football games yesterday, but one of them I saw was BYU beat UCLA like 52 to nothing, Okay? That we at home we just call that a good old fashioned butt whooping is what we call that and that's what happened with the Israelites and the Midianites they just really delivered to them and and put them in their place and 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 really did damage um, and because of that they got to a place where they stopped depending on God and they started to depend on themselves they really got pretty cocky they felt pretty good about themselves as a result of what they thought they had done and um, they they felt pretty good about themselves. The Midianites, on the other hand, uh, as a result of, of the, the Israelites getting cocky, God removes his hand from them, and he says, I'm not going to bless you anymore. You're, you're kind of on your own for a little bit. And they, they, you know, their size dwindled. They, nothing went their way. In the meantime, the Midianites are multiplying like bunnies, and there's a lot of them, and they're, you know, for 200 years, they nursed this grudge against Israel, and they're ready to pin their ears back and come and get them. And so that's, that's, you know, they're just growing and growing in number. The Israelites are, are kind of, you know, just doing their own thing, not enjoying God's blessing at all. One of the things that history tells us about the Midianites is that they were the first people to domesticate the camel. That's free information. That didn't cost you anything. That's free. This is a full service church this morning, okay? Full service. They domesticated the camel. What does that mean? That means that they figured out how to use the camel in battle. They figured out that if they use a camel, they get their, you know, their troops are fresher, 
got, they, they haven't worked as hard and they're in better shape than their enemies. And so for 200 years, they, they nursed this grudge, they plotted revenge, and then they start to attack Israel. And it's not going to be pretty at all. They, they weren't just coming to take over Israel. That's not when their goal. Their goal was to obliterate Israel, okay? They wanted to kill them. They, the, if you read on in, in verses 3 through 6, you find out that they, they tried to kill the Israelites. They, they destroyed their livestock. They uh, messed up their land and their crops, just did everything they could to make Israel's life miserable. Israel is now living in poverty and they're afraid because the Midianites, you know, they're just, they're coming in force and it's a, it's a bad deal um, because the enemy was so great. That's when God sent an angel of the Lord to a guy named Gideon who was very afraid. We pick up in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. You say, okay, what's going on? Well, this guy Midian is doing what God called him to do. He's, you know, he's doing his job. He's, he's working every day, just like you and me. We do our thing every day. Gideon's working like he's supposed to. He's threshing wheat. Problem is, he's, he's doing it kind of looking over his shoulder, okay? He's hiding. He's in what they call a wine press or think of a recessed area, maybe a cave of some kind. He's, he's not out in the open where he can be seen. Um, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said... The Lord is, and what, what does it say? The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And then what does he call him? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay? Now, you're Gideon, and you're doing your everyday thing, and you're threshing wheat, but you're hiding, and you're really petrified of the Midianites, and the angel of the Lord comes to you and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I don't know about you, but that probably would draw a chuckle out of me. That's, that's kind of hilarious to me anyway that he says that to Gideon because Gideon is petrified. He's so scared he's hiding. And the angel of the Lord says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Here's what I want you to understand. God saw something in Gideon that Gideon did not see in himself. God saw something in Gideon that Gideon did not see in himself. The same is true of me and you. God looks into your life and he looks into my life. We look into our lives. We don't see anything. But God looks into us and he sees things about us and, and he knows things about us that we can do that we oftentimes do not know that we can do. He, he just, he's able to see. He knows this better than anybody. The Lord is with you. God is with you. And you, the things you do, you do uh, with God's help. If God is for you, who can be against you is one of the things we hear often. God says, something to Gideon that, that he didn't really feel inside of himself. I doubt seriously that Gideon felt much like a mighty warrior, but that's what the angel of the Lord says God called him, mighty warrior. Now, as soon as God starts to stir something in you, as soon as God says to you, I want you to do something great for me, or I want, I'm going to give you, I'm calling you to a destiny that I have for you. Many times when God does that, and let's be honest, we would like to put on this thing like we're, we're so unspiritual that we can't discern when God's talking to us and when God's calling us to do certain things. But you know as well as I do that there are certain times in your life that God calls you to something and there's no mistake in it and you know it's God and you know it's something he's putting in front of you and you come up with every possible excuse as to why you can't do that thing. Well, God, I, you know, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not pretty enough, or I, I don't have enough money to be able to do that, God. I, I can't go there. I, I can't afford to get there. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not good with my words. I'm not a, a good public speaker. We've got all kinds of things. Um, all these reasons kind of come to the surface, these insecurities that we have, these excuses that we have. 
and they all come rising to the top well they did the same thing in Gideon all the insecurities of Gideon start to come to the top the first thing we see is that God Gideon was afraid that God was not going to be faithful that's the first thing and and you know what we see that in us too if you're honest there are times when you start to throw out the excuses as to why God I can't do this or do that what you're really saying is God I don't believe that you will be faithful now we wouldn't want to say it that way because that just sounds terribly unspiritual but but with our insecurities and when when we rehearse all these our resume of failure pretty much what we're saying to God is God we I don't trust you that you can be faithful Gideon was afraid that God's word was not going to be true. Look at verse 13. He says back to the angel, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? In other words, if the Lord's with us, why is all this stuff going south? I mean, if the Lord's with us, why is Israel um, living in poverty? If the Lord's with us, then, then why are the Midianites coming at us like this? I mean, if the Lord's with us, why do we have all these problems? Now, Gideon should have known better because God had already sent a prophet to say pretty much Israel you haven't been paying attention to me and as a result of that you're not going to experience my blessing but Gideon's question is very revealing because he's wondering about the character and faithfulness of God which is what many of us do if we're honest if we're really honest we wonder sometimes about the character and faithfulness of God and we would we would really want to say the same thing sometimes that Gideon said God if your word is really true how come I have a hard time believing it? How come, God, when I pray, it feels like my prayers go up, hit the ceiling, and bounce back down? How come when I pray and ask you for something or ask you to move things in a specific direction, it oftentimes seems like you hear it and move in the exact opposite direction? God, could you explain that to me? God, how come good people experience pain? How come bad people get ahead? It just doesn't seem like there's equity in all this, God. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I, I expect things to be a certain way, and they're a completely other way. Why is all this happening? We ask the question, why? Like many of us, Gideon started to question the faithfulness of God. Gideon's second insecurity was that he was afraid that he wasn't good enough. He, he, didn't, he didn't really trust in the, in the faithfulness of God, but he also did not believe that he was good enough. I can relate to that. Look at Gideon's response. Verse 15. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. You ever feel like that? I mean, listen to what he's saying. God, I'm the weakest. I mean, I come from a clan, God, that's not very big, not very strong, not very powerful. And look at me. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm basically what Gideon's saying is, I'm nothing. You know, you've got it all wrong, God. You, you've pegged the wrong guy. You sense that God's calling you to do something and you start to rehearse your resume of failure. God, I'm the wrong guy. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm scared and, and I'm insecure and I don't think I'm good enough. And, and maybe why don't you just go find somebody else that this would all make sense to and is ready to jump in and do whatever it is that you're calling them to do, but it's not me. You don't understand. I'm, I'm spiritually inconsistent. I'm, I'm wrong more times than I'm right. I'm not good looking enough. I, I don't speak well enough. There's, I mean, all these things that we offer up, all the reasons that we think God would accept as to why we would get off the hook from something he's calling us to do. We do it all the time. God, I'm just not the best candidate for you to use. Certainly there's somebody else better. God, if you're really there, then why? Why are all these things wrong? Could you, could you make some sense out of all this for us? There's a question I want you to wrestle with and pray over for the next several days. There's one question that I want to kind of go out and just kind of settle on you and, and throughout the course of this series maybe just wrestle with this one question. Here it is. 
What has fear kept you from doing that God is calling you to do? What has fear kept you from doing that God is calling you to do? What is fear? First, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God is not giving us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. What has fear kept you from doing that God is calling you to do? This week, uh, Wednesday, I, uh, I took a little trip to uh, Greensburg, Indiana. And I don't know if you know what happens in Greensburg, Indiana, but uh, Wednesday, I went 10,000 feet in the air in an airplane and jumped out of a perfectly good airplane at 10,000 feet. And, um, you know, every year after the car show, we always launch a series, and it's always a fun series, and we always try to do something kind of crazy. That's when the motorcycle happened and the four-wheelers and the, um, what else have we done? We've done all kinds of crazy things. Last year was the nunchucks and the warrior thing. Well, this year, um, we just decided that the thing to do, we, we talked about doing snakes, talked about handling snakes and we really would have been for one Sunday we would have been a snake handling church I think that would have been so cool we, you could have gone to the to work and said I went to a snake handling church yesterday we talked about doing spiders and tarantulas and letting them crawl all over me and we, that didn't seem like a really good idea and Ryan had skydived before and he said why don't you jump out of an airplane and I pretty much knew when he said it that I was probably going to have to do that and uh, so we went and I went by myself and um, took the training and did at what they call an accelerated free fall, which is I go out of a plane and I have two instructors on either side of me. And um, what do I want to tell you before you see this? You're going to see me land on my behind. <laughs> and so if, if you see me wince today or you see me moving kind of slow, my tailbone is killing me. So I may sit more than I normally do. And, and if you see me kind of wince, that's why. But um, they videoed this whole thing. And I, one thing you need to know is that the music, they did all the music. They, they produced this whole video for me, and they just handed me the DVD. And what you're going to see right now is the DVD that they handed me. So enjoy. So you go out at 10,000 feet, and they tell you, the first thing you got to do is count to five. Just count to five and let your mind acclimate to the idea that you just jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. And then you start doing, you know, he, if you saw, he was showing me signals and those mean things. And so I was watching my altimeter. And at 6,000 feet, you're supposed to lock into your altimeter. And at 5,500 feet, you're supposed to wave them off, which is what I was doing, and then pull. Well, I started waving them off at 5,500 feet, and he gave me a signal, and it postponed all that. So I didn't pull when I was supposed to. And so I don't know if you saw, but she showed you the altimeter. Uh, the little girl was from Brazil. She was really cool, and she... Um, she showed the altimeter, and I, I actually pulled, they pulled it for me at 4,000 feet. Now, I don't know, I'm guessing, but I, I'm, my guess is that we fell from 10,000 feet to 4,000 feet in a little over 30 seconds is what I think happened. Um, you don't feel like you're falling, which you would think you do, but you don't. It's just like you stuck your head out the window of a fast-moving train or you know, a fast-moving car. The wind that you heard when the door pops open and you step out, I really honestly I'm telling you the truth I never really f was never really afraid to do this it wasn't that kind of thing but man when you get out on that wing and the wind is in your face you are dialed in okay your every sense you've got is at high alert um, very very cool I will go back two things that I didn't do that I want to do I didn't pull my own cord and I didn't land on my feet and I'll, I'll be happy to tell you about my experience it was a lot of fun and I'm sure that at some point in my life I'll do that again 
why did I show you that? Why, you say, Brett, why did you, why, why did you jump out of an airplane? This is going to sound crazy, but I believe God called me to jump out of an airplane. I believe that for this series and for an image for you to have in your mind to drive home the points we're going to make over the next several weeks, I believe God wanted you to see that to associate it with the things that are going to be going on in your life. Now, here's the deal. God is not calling you to jump out of an airplane, but he's calling you to do something. He's calling you to do some ministry-related thing. He might be calling you to, to share your faith with somebody, and, you, think, and you, you're, you know God's calling you to do that, and you think to yourself, God, all the insecurities come up, all the excuses, all the reasons why you don't need to do that come surface into the top. And you give him all the reasons why. I want you to associate that jump out of an airplane with, okay, I know God's calling me to do this. It doesn't matter. I mean, I, I'm not a candidate to be doing skydives, really. My wife has said this week, Brett, that is just not you. It is. It's more her than it is me. She's much more apt to, jump, to do that than I am. And she said, that's really not you. But, but the, the point is, whatever God's calling you to do, he's calling you to do for a reason. Maybe he's calling you to do some ministry-related thing, and you start to rehearse all the reasons. I'm not spiritual enough, or I don't have enough training, or I've only been going to church for a short time, or they would laugh. My family would laugh if they saw me trying to do that ministry-related thing. And so you, all your reasons why come bubbling to the top. Maybe he's calling you to go to a mission trip somewhere. I, I went on the trip to Thailand. I, I love the United States of America, and I don't ever really care to leave the United States of America. But yet God, I promised Tracy and told God, if we ever start doing mission trips and we go to Thailand, I'm going to Thailand. Thailand turned out to be one of the greatest experiences of my life that I would have missed if I had let all of my excuses and all my reasons for not going actually get in the way of that. Maybe God is calling you, and I believe this is true of many, many of you, and, and myself included, that we walk these these lines, these spiritual lines where we, we kind of play with God and we, you know, we, we don't give him everything and we don't really live full out for him. We, we sprinkle, we dabble in it. We're kind of like you know, people that show up at a fire with a squirt gun, squirt, squirt. I hope that helps you, God. Squirt, squirt. You know, just a little bit here and there. And God's saying, look, grab the hose for crying out loud. I, we, need, we need all men in. We need everybody, every hose on the fire. And, and put your squirt gun down. And it's like Kyle was talking about. Stop being mediocre. Stop being lukewarm. And actually get off the fence and become the person that God's calling you to be. And yeah, it's scary. And you say, well, God, that's not me. That's just not my style. I, you know, I've never been a religious person, whatever that means. God says, I don't care about any of that. I want you passionate about me. I want you serious about me. And maybe what God's calling you to do is to just say, enough playing games. Enough, you know, dabbling in it, enough, say, you know, calling myself a Christian, not really acting like a Christian. I'm going to actually do this thing, and I'm going to follow God with my whole heart. I'm not going to play around anymore. I don't know, uh, you know, what God's calling you to do, and I don't know what, what it is for you, but there are certain things that he's calling you to do, and when you hear it, everything in you cries out, oh, but I can't. And you've got every reason, and you rehearse your resume of failure for God and say, God, you can't be serious. And God says, I am serious. Fear. For God is not giving us a spirit, has not given us a spirit of timidity, we could insert the word fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So I'm praying today that when God stirs your heart towards something, and he most definitely will stir your heart towards something, that what he whispers in your ear is, I am with you. I know that on your own you can't do it. I know on your own you don't feel adequate enough. And on your own you are not. But what you're forgetting is I am with you. 
And in those times when you start to hesitate, I pray that you understand that you, you, you can trust God and that you know he's going to be right there. That when you say, God, I'm not good enough, that what you hear back is that, that when your fear rubs up against your faith, that what your faith does is it overcomes that with God's help and says, I know that the Lord is with me. In your life, when you are called and you are hesitant and you know that you have an appointment with God's destiny in your life, I pray that, that in some way, maybe this, this video thing comes back and you say, you know what, it, it is my time to jump. Not out of an airplane, but it's my time to, to do the thing that God is calling me to do. I, I pray that you will remember that what God wants to do in your life is the Gideon. You say, the Gideon, what, what is that? Is that, the, is that the new dance craze? When I was in Bible college, we had a professor that was fond of doing the Pharaoh shuffle. Dr. Black always did the Pharaoh shuffle. You say, is, this, is the Gideon something like the Pharaoh shuffle? No. This is what the Gideon is, okay? The Gideon is when God uses the unsure and insecure person to do the impossible. It's when God uses the unsure or insecure person to do the impossible. God loves to do the Gideon. It's when he takes unlikely people. He takes people that are afraid, and he takes uh, people that really don't know what to do, and he does through them what only he can do. Let me give you two Gideon truths, two things about Gideon. First of all, with God, his strength through your weakness is exactly enough. With God, his strength through your weakness is exactly enough. The Lord turned, verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Is it God calling you? If it's God calling you, do you really think that God's going to let you fail? And even if you do fail, do you not think that there's something in it that God wants you to have or wants you to understand? If God's calling you, don't you think he's going to give you the resources to get it done? If his name is on the line, don't you think he's going to do everything necessary to bring himself praise and glory through any effort you give him? So he looks at Gideon and he says, listen, get up, get off your tail. It's time for you to go do your deal. I I'm with you. I'm going to be right with you. You go do it. I'm sending you, Gideon. I've been doing this pastor thing for about eight years now. And I'm, I'm really, I mean, I'm not nervous up here. This is fun for me. I know some of you have a hard time believing that, but this is like my living room, okay? I'm perfectly comfortable up here. But there are certain parts of my job as a pastor that, A, I'm not real good at, and everybody knows it, and I know it too. There are certain areas of my job that I simply, to put it real honestly, am not adequate to do. And, and when God started, I, the guys, the elders can tell you, when they approached me about being the pastor of this church, I told them, I said, you better, I'll give you six months, and you better find somebody in six months, because I don't think I can do this. I had one guy come into my office and tell me, to my face, the elders have made a huge mistake. There's times that I function in this position completely inadequate to do the job. I'm nervous all the time. I mean, do you know what it's like to, to know that God is calling you to get up on a stage and say certain things about where we're going as a church? And when I cast vision and God says, this is what I'm calling you guys to do. And my, my, I'm, my question is, and I know that it's going to be your guys' question is, well, how are we going to pay for that? God says, hey, you just say it. You, you just trust me. This is where I'm sending you. This is where you're going. This is what this is about. I don't want any back talk. You get up there and say the words. And I'm like, God, how in the world are we going to be? I can't. I'm nervous all the time in my job because I'm inadequate. 
I know what it's like to be, to be the guy that God's going to say, I want you to do this thing and me to start offering up all the reasons to God why I can't do the job that God's calling me to do. And you say, you know what? I, I know what it's like to say, God, I'm not, I'm not good enough for this role. You, you've got the wrong guy. You've got to call somebody else. This isn't going to work. And he does things like car shows that just astound me. I pinch myself sometimes and remind myself, oh, you're the pastor of this church. I, I, I feel just like you most of the time. I, I, I'm just one of the people that go here. I just happen to be the guy that gets up on stage every week. But believe me, I have plenty of times when God is saying, hey, this is what I'm calling you to do. And I start to rehearse my resume of failure. Where are you weak right now? That is a perfect place for God to show his strength through you. Look at verse 16. Gideon's freaking out just a little bit. The Lord answered, I will be, I will be what? I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. When we believe that God is with us, it is amazing what begins to happen. The deal is done. There's no reason to worry. When God's with you, it is settled. Um, just real briefly, I didn't say this in the first service, but Real briefly, there's just been times in this church's history, just in the short time I've been the pastor, that that's been the case, that when we finally decided, okay, this is God's will, and we don't know how this is all going to work out, and how in the world are we going to pay for it? Kyle, when we were going to hire Kyle, that seemed like such a big, huge thing. Is there anybody in the room that thinks we shouldn't have hired Kyle, and this wasn't God's will? I mean, is there anybody in the room that thinks that we shouldn't build buildings from time to time, and that we shouldn't? We've got people that are in this church saved going to heaven because we did a car show. Can you believe that? Is there anybody that would say, well, we shouldn't do car shows because, I mean, nobody would ever come to Christ because of a car show. Want to bet? It's happened. I mean, it's just, I, I remember going to CIY when I was a youth pastor, and I, my se last several years in, in youth ministry, my youth group was made predominantly guys, and one of the guys that was in our youth group was a guy named Brian Sprague. I don't know how you remember Brian, but he was a big guy, played football at West Vigo. Huge. This guy was a lineman, big dude. And we would go to CIY at Anderson, Every year, one year I'm, I'm in Anderson with, with Brian and we're walking back, it's late, we've just escorted the girls back to their dorm and so now we're walking to our dorm, it's pretty late at night and some townies from Anderson came, drove by through the campus and were trying to stir up trouble with us. I don't respond to that real good because I'm kind of a wimp and I don't really want to fight anybody and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. But then I looked up and I got Brian standing next to me, you know, and I, I walked a little taller, you know, I, I had a little... I had a little stride going, you know, because I, why did I do that? Because I'm with Brian Sprague. I mean, who's going to mess with me standing next to Brian Sprague? You know, my, my kids have a shirt. It's, Jesus, it's a little girl or a little boy hanging on to Jesus' hand, and they run up against a lion, and she says, I'm with him. You know, that's pretty much where we are. We, why would we be afraid when God calls us to something and says, I'm going to be with you? Why is it that we want to shrink back in times like that? God is my deliverer. He is my strength. He is my source. He is my companion. He is my friend. Why would you turn back when you have a God that's like that? Gideon's like many of us. He was struggling. He's having a hard time believing it. He says, okay, God, if I'm hearing you right, you want me to get a group of guys together and go against the Midianites. And God says, that's exactly right. And he says, you know, I'm going to need a little clarification. Okay, if it's you, I'm going to need you to really come behind this and do some things. And I don't recommend that you do this, but he asked God for a sign. And God basically confirms for him two or three times what it is that he wants him to do. And, and Gideon's like, okay, so this is you. That's no question. It's time to recruit the army. So he recruits the army. He comes out with 32,000 guys. Now you hear that number and you think, well, 32,000, that's, that's pretty good. But Gideon knew 
what history tells us, which is that the, the Midianites were about 150,000 strong. They were friends with the Amalekites who could bring their own guys. And they also had some other friends. that they, When they all banded together, they're looking at an army of over 200,000 guys against 32,000. And, and Gideon says, that's not enough. We're going to have to do better than that. And, and so he, he basically is looking at God saying, nice start, but can we get some more guys? Look at what happens. God speaks up in Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men... You have too many men for me to, to deliver Midian into their hands. I've, the first general I've ever heard that said he, didn't, he had too many troops. You have too many men. And Gideon's thinking, what? Too many? How in the world can we have too many? Which brings us to our second Gideon truth. With God, the way forward is often backward. With God, the way forward is often backward. This speaks to some of you right now. Because you're, you're praying, God... You know, all I want is for you to take me forward. All I want is for you to, to move me in this direction. And it just feels like every time you pray that prayer, you're going backward. God, move me forward in the direction with my, minister, my, my marriage, and it just feels like you're going backward. Move me forward with my job, and it just feels like you're going backward. Oftentimes, the way forward with God begins with going backward. I don't know if you ever did this when you were little, but... Did you ever see those slingshots that you could, you could get and they had, they had like tube, like surgical tubing and they wrapped over your wrist? The really cool ones. The really co- I mean, I, I used to try and make slingshots out of twigs when I was a little kid and didn't have the money to buy the really cool one, but I always wanted one. And so you ever seen, shot one of those? What do you do? You take whatever it is that you're going to launch out, you put it in the pouch, you draw it back so that you can, pro, pro, yeah, shoot it forward so you can push it forward. Is it possible that whatever your circumstances are, that's what God's doing with you this morning? Is it possible that God's got you in a slingshot and he's pulling you backward and it makes no sense to you at all? And it just, and you know, because when you do that, it's, you're kind of pinched and it's just does, I'm sure whatever's in the pouch isn't real comfortable when it's being pulled back. And maybe that feels like you and you think to yourself, man, this just, this does not make sense at all. Look what he does, what God does. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, Announce to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. They left. 22,000 guys get scared and leave the number of 32,000. Now, the reason I went to Bible college instead of going to regular school is because I'm not a very good person at math. So, but even I know that when you take 22 away from 32,000, you've got 10,000 guys left over. That's not good when you're going up against 200,000. I mean, I don't, I'm not an accountant. Don't even pretend to play one on TV. But I know that's, those aren't good numbers. That's never going to work. And, and so can you imagine Gideon? Gideon's thinking, man, we don't have enough. And God's talking about trimming the army. And one of the ways he does it, ask them who's afraid. And everybody that's afraid gets to go home. And so, you know, Gideon would easily be able to look. I thought we were going forward, God. And God's answer is, we are going forward. So he said, now what I want you to do with the 10,000 you've got left, I want you to see that pond over there? I want you to take the guys over and have them all get a drink. And I want you to watch how they get a drink. So Gideon, he's supposed to watch. And here's the way God separated out the ones who would go into battle and the ones who wouldn't. He said, the guys that go up to the pond and stick their face into the water and just start sucking up the water with their face, you don't want those guys. They're not ready for battle. They're not, they don't understand. They're not alert. You, don't, that's, you can't win with guys like that. So anybody who does that, you send them home. 
The guys who kneel down and put their, their hand in the water and bring it up to their mouth, those are the ones you want to take into battle. Well, when this is all said and done, do you know how many people Gideon has left? 300. 300. He goes from 32,000 to 300, and he's going up against over 200,000 in troops. So, God, you've got to be kidding me. I thought we were going forward, and God says, we are going forward. You've got to trust me. So God says, it's time to roll. Let's get our troops together. I want you to get your weapons. These are what your weapons are going to be. Are you ready, Gideon? Gideon says, yeah, I'm ready. Me and my 300 guys, what do you, you know, we've got a howitzer, tanks. What, 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 are we, what are we taking into battle against the Midianites? He says, okay, go get, first of all, go get your trumpets. The instrument. Go get your pitchers that we put sweet tea in. Go get lights, your, your candles, okay? And that's what you're going to take. So it's 300 people against 200,000, and we've got an instrument and, and a, a, you know, some, some service ware for the table and some candles. And God says, now what I want you to do is I want you to, I want you to blow your horns really loud. I want you to take your, your pitcher and break it on the ground, and then I want you to hold your light up to me, and that's the plan. Can you imagine what's going through Gideon's mind? You know, he's, he's, it's just not going good for him at all. I mean, this, this is not feeling good to Gideon at all. And what happened was when he launched, when, 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 when they did all those things, the, the Midianites turned on themselves and destroyed one another. And what really, at the end of the day, the only thing Gideon could say, and we've said this around here several times, the only way you can explain that is that God showed up. That's the only way you can explain it. I don't know how many times, let me just, if you're new to us, let me just tell you what, how we function as a church. We're not interested in doing things here that we can do in our own power. We believe that the places God's calling us to go are hard places, and they're places that in and of ourselves, we can't get there. Unless God comes with us, we're not going to make it. And so we believe that we're, we're going to do things that when it's all said and done, we're going to look around and say, man, the only way that you can explain that is that God showed up. God sees things in you and me that we don't see in ourselves. And just about the time that he calls you to some destiny that he has for you, we start to rehearse our resume of failure because we don't see what God sees. We've got to trust in God's faithfulness, and we've got to understand that he's calling us to huge things, things that will bring him glory things that won't make any sense to us, there are going to be times we're going to feel like we're going backward instead of going forward. Is it possible that some of you right now this morning, you know what that is. You, you're going backward. You feel the pinch, and you're being pulled backward, and you're saying, God, what is up? He, he, is it possible that he could be getting ready to launch you into something huge? Don't rehearse your resume of failure. God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love, and of self-discipline. Now, the last thing I would say is that there's got to be somebody in this room who's never given their life to Christ. My advice to you is that you allow God to put you in that pouch. You watch guys on TV. You watch the preachers on TV. This is what they'll tell you. If you come to Jesus, your life gets great. You're going to get rich. Nothing will be wrong. You'll be healthy. You have no problems. Can I tell you something? They're lying to you. They're lying to you. I can read you all kinds of stories and all kinds of articles about guys and gal gals who gave their life to Christ and their whole world just fell apart. They got sick or they lost their money or they lost their job or they lost their family, they lost their friends. 
things didn't go the right way. But those same people are the people who would say, I can't imagine my life without Christ. It's time for you to quit running. Put yourself in the pouch. Let God pull you back and launch you. I want to tell you something. Falling from that airplane was an experience like I, I can't even describe to you what that was like. And when the chute opened, man, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. I mean, the, you know, the trip down to where the chute opened was pretty quick. Once the chute opened, I had time to see the view. It was a gorgeous thing, right up until the point I hit the ground. <laughs> so if you've never given your life to Christ, you need to do that. We're going to sing in just a moment, but let's pray before we do that. And at that time, you could give your life to Christ. Father, we love you. Um, I pray that uh, this series, would you would use it in people's lives to be able to maybe take the step that they're hesitant to take. Uh, you call us to things from time to time, and it just scares us to death. Father, help this verse to just kind of ring out in our minds, in our hearts, in our spirits, that you have not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but that you have given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Lord, if there's someone in this room this morning who's never given their heart to Christ, I pray that they would just stop running today, that they would finally just come face to face with you and give it up, that they'd give their heart to you and that they would know life in a way that they've never known it before, that every sense that they have would, would really come to life. They'd see how they could live a life that gives you glory and praise. Father, in this moment, in this hour, we love you and we pray that what we've done in this morning would give you praise and that you would feel worshipped as a result. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.